In a world where modern media pushes the bounds of imagination, two men embark on a journey to discover lost heroes, daunting villains, and heart-wrenching conflict. Join them in their quest in the never-ending narrative. Hey guys, welcome to Never Ending Narrative. I'm Matt Yeager. And I'm Pat Osmick. And we're coming to you today recording episode number five. I can't believe we are already at number five. It's It's been a long journey, and I'm glad that you stuck with me the whole week, Pat. It's It's been fun. Yeah. Uh, so, a little bit of local stuff. This past week in Milwaukee, we've had this this humid fog that has been sitting around our town. We, we live in a cloud. And I was driving home last night around midnight. You know, you got all the street lamps and this dense, heavy fog. But it's been it's been so long that it's stuck around. I think that Milwaukee might be taking place in a Stephen King novel this last week. Ah, yeah. So maybe some monsters come out of it. Maybe they don't. Like that's that's part of the scary part. You don't know what's coming out of the fog. <laughs> all the anticipation and suspense, and then nothing. And then nothing. Have you have you read a Stephen King novel? I have. Um, I think I read uh, the first in the Gunslinger um, I don't, novels. Oh, well, yeah. I was going to say I haven't read any of them. I, I I read one. It was interesting. It didn't it didn't grab me enough that I really wanted to continue with it. Sure, but um, yeah, I I definitely got a feel for his writing style, and it was totally different than I expected. Have you seen any of the adaptations to film? Like the the they they used to make them that you could watching like the weekends on tv but they weren't like films in the in the theater yeah i don't know if i have well you know well you might not know uh there was it which is a stephen king novel ah i did not see that and oh man i saw that when i was a kid and it was so i still am slightly traumatized by that really it's super like creepy and scary and freaked out so is it like a, is it a monster movie? Like I'm assuming with it, it's something. it's been a long time, and so I guess essentially these kids, you know, because you got like Podunk, hometown, USA, uh, you know, kids have nothing to do, yeah. so they go down in this sewer and they come across this entity mm. that shows itself as the scariest clown you've ever seen. <laughs> okay, just if you weren't afraid of clowns, you are now. Wow. And this guy, this clown like tortures them and just messes with them all the time. So then uh, they all grow up and they kind of have like a reunion, like a meetup. Cause like now they have normal lives again. Sure. And they come back and then he's, he's still there. Like now he's messing with them as adults and Whoa. it's so creepy and just, uh, I don't, I don't want to go back there. I don't want to go back there. It's not okay. what I want to do. <laughs> I, I shouldn't have brought it up. Um, but then also I did, I remember seeing the shining, uh, yeah, which I think there's been a few adaptations. I can't remember the exact one that I saw. All I remember is the guy hitting the gal with like a croquet mallet, like hardcore. Whoa. More than what they should or what they used to show on television. And yeah, that was, oh, Stephen King. You just, I know you love writing novels, but maybe you should slow down. <laughs> yeah. He, he is, he's very graphic. 
Yes. Um, yes. In in most senses of the word. Which uh, a lot of people really like his novels. So yeah. Um, I won't. I won't get down on you. If you can handle all that, then you do it. <laughs> uh, but you know, I would doubt that those movies were actually better than the book itself. Probably not, especially with suspense. Uh, you know, there's something about the the fear uh, that you can incite in your own mind and with your own imagination. Absolutely. That with with a book can, if you get into it, can sometimes take on a bigger life than if you're seeing something on screen. Very much agree. And that's actually what we're going to be talking about today. Oh, really? Uh, you can imagine you're, you and I are coming out of a, a theater and there's a group in front of us like talking about the movie and there's always that one guy, oh, the book was so much better better i've been that guy before i've also been that guy before <laughs> and so we just kind of wanted to to talk about that today um so a lot of people have especially i think the biggest part of why this is become such a thing such a phrase is because the, the movies the movie industry these days hasn't had in my opinion really an original thought in like the last 10 years <laughs> everything's an adaptation from a book from a comic book uh, from an older movie, you know, a yeah. lot of reboots. And, and to be fair, we're probably talking about the big budget, you know, yes. movies. I'm sure there are a lot of, uh, you know, lesser known indie movies that are original. And yeah, and there has been. I, I randomly, uh, the station agent came in my head. I don't know if you saw that. No. Or the Blo- the Brothers Bloom is a big fan of oh, ours. Yes. So yeah, I mean, there is a lot of films out there that um, are very original and very well done. Um, but yeah, the bigger the bigger ticket boxes have been, you know, Transformers based off of you know cartoons, uh, all the Marvel films, mm-hmm. uh, Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, all books. Yeah, uh, Battleship, Battleship. Ba- based on a board game. Oh, you're, <laughs> did, we never even even thought about seeing that film. No. Okay, because we, we we had a friend who really liked it though. Did we? Well, you're not talking about Pacific Rim. I'm not talking about Pacific because Rim. that came out the same time, and so I sometimes get those two because uh, Pacific Rim was like the mech. Yes, it uh, was film. Which, yeah, and I think that was uh, an original story. Although, I mean, it plays on the Godzilla tropes and all of that. But yeah, well, there's there's an anime called Evangelion, uh, or Evangelion, depending on who you are, <laughs> and it's a similar premise. Interesting. The okay. aliens show up. And we have mechs to kick their butts, hmm. um, which is essentially Pacific Rim. Sure. Uh, I mean, I I shouldn't down too much. The 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 Pacific Rim. I think people liked it more than I did. Is I guess is what I'll say. Okay. So. Yeah, but no, seriously, th- there was a "You Sunk My Battleship" movie. There was, and I think Channing Tatum was in that one, but I didn't see it. I don't know. Like, yeah, I I remember the trailer, like guy you know like commander with his with his binoculars sitting on the bridge of his ship yep and they're just like oh you you sunk my battleship (laughs) (laughs) it's like millions of dollars just to justify saying that line which if you want to see a good battleship done in a movie yeah you should just watch uh batman forever oh i don't know if you saw it ever but we saw it a bunch when we were kids because like when you have limited VHS is you watch the same things over and over. <laughs> sure. Uh, so I saw a lot of Fiddler on the Roof and a lot of uh, too much of Batman Forever. <laughs> uh, but the the villains, uh, Jim Carrey plays a Riddler and Tommy Lee Jones plays Two-Face. 
Nice. It's very comical. And towards the end, uh, they play a game of Battleship, essentially. <laughs> but it's, like, in real life. So, like, you know, like, the, the Batwing is on is on the play game. You know, okay. and so they're shooting at it. And Jim Carrey does actually just sit there and yell. He's like, you sunk my Battleship! And it's just, it's very... <laughs> It's very funny. I don't know. I enjoyed that part of the movie. That's awesome. Even though it was just, they kind of, that was the the beginning of the end with the, the Batman series for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. We are on some big tangents. <laughs> All right. Let's, what are we talking about? So we're back to the book was so much better. Right. And I guess I kind of wanted to start talking about that really over the overall, I think that we should view them as two separate experiences. I agree. And so I was thinking this week about reading about like my reading experiences Hmm. and it's a little bit different now because you know, you have a Kindle and you just kind of download books and you flip through them and you still get to read. But I was really thinking about back in high school when you had like, when you started like a new book and you just go through it and like, just going through that book, like physically going through the book while you're reading was also an experience. Hmm. Um, I don't know if you ever uh, bookmarked. Do you, were you a bookmarker or were you a dog ear guy? Um, probably bookmarking. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely use a bookmark. I don't bend the pages. Yeah. yeah. I, I dog eared every book that I read in high school. Really? Yes. <laughs> Even if I checked it out of the library, like <laughs> it's, it was just my thing. Like you just you fold the corner over and you make a little crease, and now uh-huh. you know where you left off. And especially with books that I read multiple times, uh-huh. now you can kind of see like uh, you. It's kind of reminiscent of going through the adventure. Like you can kind of look at the side of the book and be like, "Oh, well, I really you know read a lot here, and I read a little bit here, a little re- lot here." And I don't know how to necessarily describe it, mm. but it it kind of just still spoke to me like just even looking at the side of a book after i read the whole thing and just realizing all the the parts of my life that i went through because of a, that a, a tangible evidence of the uh the experience that you had yeah and you can even like i said when you read it multiple times now i'm going through and i'm reading i'm stopping at different points hmm. and you can physically see that and things kind of register in your head like oh well, i remember leaving off here this one time because i had to go to school you okay know? Uh, a lot of times in high school i would read because I'm, I'm kind of a slow reader, and so when I say I re- read until I had to get up the next morning, like, it's not as impressive. Like, I didn't read an entire book in one night. Like, yeah. I read, you know, not as much. But I would still, I would read for long periods. I would, you know, I would go to bed, quote unquote, mm-hmm. have my light on, and still read until, like, I had to get up and get ready for the next, like, school day. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you'd see big, thick portions of that book being taken up. And then other times, like, I, yeah. you would read like during a break or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll, I'll say I'm probably the opposite. Okay. I, I don't like the ergonomics of physical books. I'm, so I'm probably you were making, overjoyed when the Kindle came. Oh, out. I was, I'm, I was, I've been overjoyed with my Kindle. I love it. Okay. It, to me, it's a much better reading experience. A better. Whoa. Yeah. I, I, I think reading on a Kindle is a better experience than reading on a physical book. I, I have to disagree. The, the, even just the smell alone, like when your face is right up against a book and you smell the pages and you have this thing held in your hand and you know how people reading those kind of books, everyone has different ways that they hold the books while they're Mm -hmm. reading. Like you'll see like a, a young lady at a cafe and she's got it up in one hand and she's got, you know, the, the two fingers holding the book open with Mm -hmm. the one finger holding the binding 
and you know it's all very elegant but you see like people like me i'm just like oh i'm just i'm i'm fisting like both like each side is held by a fist of of the book uh-huh and you know and then i turn the pages and i always like because i always get like tired because i take so long to read that like you know my hands are getting tired so i do different positions and- but that but that's what i'm talking about it's so awkward to hold a book open and deal with the binding and the pages and it's just you say deal with like it's such a negative thing it is it's distracting from the the story it no it, it it if anything it immerses me more. I ooh, this might be <laughs> this yeah we're not gonna reconcile this I don't think. All right, well we may have to table this for later. Yeah, I mean even though I do own a Kindle now and I read most of my books on now because mm-hmm. there is a convenience in that. Right um, now now I will say that um I have my Kindle is the one with the with the e ink. It's not like uh like a backlit you sure just color full color display. I think I would probably get eye strain if I read for long periods with that, but I love the uh, the e ink um, okay. display. On that's my a good point to make because I have the the Kindle Fire, and so that's you know it's more of a tablet than it is a Kindle yeah. these days, and so it's not that I don't have like the e ink kind of kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that you know, there's that whole so along with the reading experience, you have this time to just you, you get to decide the pacing. I mean, obviously, a well-written book has its own pacing that you follow. Mm-hmm. But, like, if there's if you reach a certain point where there's a lot of emotions or there's a lot of stress, you get to process that in your own time. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I think that that adds to the reading experience. Um, I think for me, too, because, like, again, it would take me so long to go through a book that a lot of my own life would happen during that book. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and so I would, you know, like, let's say there was a time where, oh, so when I read the hunger games was a time where I would, I was working at a game store part time and I was also going to school part time. Yeah. So when I wasn't doing either of those things, I would have long periods where I'd be able to just sit on the couch and read. There was also a time where I was living with my, my older roommate and, you know, we would have like a lot of experiences, you know, at night, like he'd come home from work and we would. Uh, watch uh, West Wing, uh, you know, we would have all these things. And so for for some reason, there's still like parts of that that are, are left over when I think of The Hunger Games. Like I think of that mm. time in my life. Interesting. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I, I've never quite felt that with books. I do that with music. Like interesting. I can, I can remember specifically like when I got a certain al- like album or when I started listening to it. Um, like, uh, there was one album every time I hear it, I remember the time, um, uh, like the summer before my freshman year of high school, when I flew out to Portland to visit a friend who moved away and that entire trip, I was listening to, um, uh, to this one album. And every time I hear it, I remember that Hmm. there's another one, um, uh, my friend Nathan gave me an album right around the time that I was moving into uh, the apartment I live in now. Right. And I just I, I always associate that album with the experience of moving into that new place. And so they're they're always tied to me. And those like, memories come flooding back whenever I hear them. And I think that I've had similar experiences. I remember traveling to see family and driving through the U.S. to go to Boston. I remember listening to the delirious uh live album mm. i forget yeah uh over and over again 
but yeah, so I, I definitely have similar, similar experiences, but you don't have that reading books at all. Certainly not as strongly. I can't, I can't pick out a certain memory from that. No. Oh, I can definitely, if you show me a book that I read, I can tell you what part of life I was at Interesting. when I was reading that. Um, especially Lord of the Rings. I read twice during high school, during the four years of high school hmm. and, uh, they were very impactful. So, so that all encompasses kind of the, the movie experience or the, I'm sorry, the reading experience. Yeah. The movie, like going to see a movie is quite a different experience. Yeah. A lot of times for us, at least it's getting people together on a Saturday night. Oh, what movie do we want to see? Picking out the movie. Where do we want to go see it? Getting the time, getting there, getting the popcorn, getting the soda, sitting down, having a talk before the movies, sitting down, and now you're watching the movie. And during it, you it's more of a group effort. It's more of a group experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you get affected by the people sitting next to you, either positively or negatively. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's definitely times where our buddy Dave is maybe uh, – during his his rants in the middle of films and and whatnot is sometimes maybe not ruin the movie for us but for people who aren't used to uh, the way that he acts during during movies could be yeah uh, I I mean I've definitely joined in with him yeah and I specifically remember ruining Spider Man three for whoever was sitting next to us uh, he was not happy during the the film. We were having a good time, though. Uh, but even, uh, you know, there's there's intense parts of a movie and you hear the, the audience gasp. Oh, yeah. There's 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 even audible, you know, reactions that affect you. Mm-hmm. I remember we went you and I we went to go see I Am Legend. Oh, yeah. And we went with uh, your your ex roommate and his sister. Yeah. And she was sitting next to me during the film. And I remember spoiler alert, very much spoiler alert. Uh, there's a part in the film towards the end where the dog dies, the dog that's been with him the entire time. And I'm sitting here and I'm getting some of the feels, but I'm just like, no, like this, this isn't going to make me cry. No, I'm not (laughs) doing this. I'm like, I'm going to hold out for more, you know, whatever excuses I was giving myself. And just as it happens, uh, uh, the girl sitting next to me did this, (gasps) like, it wasn't as surprising as more like she, cause she's an animal person mm-hmm. uh, way more than I am. Like I'm, I'm a dog lover, but you know, like not to that extent. And she had such a reaction that it actually triggered. Uh, it, it had me go off and now I'm just bawling, you know, I'm just like, yeah. Oh my goodness, the dog's died. No. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but that wouldn't have happened necessarily if I was watching that by myself or sure. if I was reading the book by myself. Uh, which reminds me, another Will Smith movie, I Robot. Oh yes, uh, a lot of people had different reactions to that. I think I need to read that book, the that book series. Yeah, that's an interesting one because from what I don't remember much about the movie. Yes, but from what I remember, it bears no resemblance to the stories whatsoever, other than there are robots. Right, but I I think that is also one of the book series that like kind of sets sets the parameters for a lot of robot fiction. Oh, it's a classic of science fiction. And you're right. It did pioneer many of the robot stories that we have right, today. Because they kind of go off of those. Yeah. Actually, Isaac Asimov, who wrote iRobot, he coined the term robot. He was the first person to use that word. Really? Yes. I, I think 
I need to start reading that. Yeah, I uh, I actually went on an Asimov kick um, uh, over the course of the last year, and oh. so I started with iRobot, went through some of the other, because so, those all the I, iRobot is a sh- collection of short stories yep. all about robots, um, and there are some common characters, but they're mostly isolated stories. Then there are three robot novels, kind of branch off of that. Okay. Um, and that uh, kind of take the idea much further and create a whole world out of it. Sure. Um, and Asimov has tons of other books. But, um, yeah, that's a really good spot if you want to go back to some classic science fiction. Okay. I think, I, I think I'll do that. Um, so, but that's uh, a good example. So we, we've talked about the, the reading experience. We've talked about the movie experience. I think that they're very much separate. But where people have a hard time is because... A lot of times from the books, they cross over mediums into the movies. We have mm-hmm. these movie adaptations of the books that we love. And it's probably not as a big deal for people who have seen the movie and maybe read the book later. I don't. I, have you ever actually done that? I don't think I've ever read the book after the movie. That's a great question. Um, I don't know if I've done that either. I'm pretty sure I have not. And... So I'm guessing for them it's not a it's not a big contention, but for people who've read the book, they've established this narrative in their mind. They've established all these characters in their head, and your yeah. imagination makes such a world of its own that once it's put on screen, it doesn't necessarily drive with what you have. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people have a hard time with that. But there there are things to be said about moving mediums, and there mm-hmm. are things to be said about. Uh, how movies can affect your affect that narrative in a way that the books just couldn't do. Sure. Uh, One of the most obvious ways is when they add non non written parts to tell you the story. Mm. Uh, For example, uh, I read the divergent series recently and then I watched the first movie. I wasn't expecting a whole lot because you know, I didn't the, the books it like, I wasn't putting a big, like it wasn't Lord of the Rings. Like I wasn't putting a big, weight of like yeah this is gonna mean a lot to me if the movie does really well uh but there was a point in the film where um so okay so divergent the girl changes her her affiliation from the man i'm I'm blanking a little bit here but so her affiliation was with this group that was very selfless and they they gave to the poor um they they didn't aspire to any kind of vanity. You know, they, they even more uh, outright rejected it by like okay. not having mirrors in their house, um, very plain clothing, hmm. uh, very much uh, trying to give to other people more than expecting for yourself. Very selfless okay. uh, faction. And she, on the day of her choosing... For the uh, whenever they turn of a certain age, they have to choose for the rest of their life what faction they're gonna what what they're gonna join, and she chooses Dauntless, and Dauntless they're the group that that keep order and peace. They're like the military part okay. of the of the the society. You know, they guard the fences, they make sure everything's good in, inside, and so their faction puts above all bravery. So, you know, you, you when you first see them, uh, even in the film, they're coming off this train. Instead of the train stopping, they just jump off, like, onto, like, a, a grassy knoll or what. It doesn't actually matter. They just jump off the train, 
Um, the train just never stops for them. They jump back on. Um, they, you know, they, they climb around, you know, you'll see them like climbing random buildings just okay. because, you know, like all these things about bravery and adventure and whatnot. Sure. And that also meant you have to be really tough, you mm-hmm. know, to, to keep the peace and, and be in this pseudo military group. And so in the film, when they're about to start her training, they start this like training montage sequence. And I remember specifically they, the camera pans down from the top of their, their training center. So you're revealing this training center and there's, there's things going on everywhere. And as you're doing it, they're playing this Ellie Golding uh, song and you know her stuff, Mm -hmm. but to the audience, like a lot of her stuff is very, I guess, ethereal kind of sounding. Yeah. Maybe not quite Enya ethereal, but Yeah. yeah. And it, poppy ethereal. Very yeah, still very poppy. And but it was such a good mixture of what they were showing and the, the song that it just kind of put me in this mode of like this is a new the this whole life is new to her. Hmm. You know, everything is kind of mysterious, like she's just learning everything new. And it really hit me in that feeling. You know, like they, yeah. they accomplished their goal very well. And you wouldn't be able to do that in a book. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, like when I was reading that part of the book, I guess maybe it's also part of my imagination. It's just like, okay, oh, she's, she's a little bit confused, you know, as what's going on, but she's just kind of going with the pack. And now we're starting training. It's very, you know, uh, not meticulous, uh, but it's very rugged and she's just keeping up, you know, scraping her knees and doing whatnot. But this kind of took a different, a different light to to the sides of what she was feeling and so i really enjoyed that that part of the film that was different than what i imagined when i was reading the book yeah cool so there and and so there's there's a lot of things that you can do that aren't on the page nonverbal cues um where something has to be described uh in detail in a book for you to mm-hmm. for you to grasp it you can take like whole pages of descriptions and replace them with just something on the film. Right. You know, mm-hmm. instead of describing, uh, and I guess I'm, I'm kind of going to like Dauntless just cause it's a more recent thing for me. Uh, you know, instead of describing, uh, in words, what, what she was, what Beatrice was, you know, she's just this younger, younger girl, kind of like, you know, pretty skinny, but kind of like the, like the, the skinny, like the, I guess kind of weak skinny, you know, where like you, you're not skinny because you're like working on all your muscles and whatnot. Frail. Yeah, frail. Good word, Pat. Okay. That's, that's a good, good vocabulary word. <laughs> uh, so she's very frail and you know, she's got her, her hair and ponytail and she's very plain because of where she came from. You know, she, she hasn't been paying attention to her looks at all growing up. And so you, you get this in your head. So like, these are all like descriptive things that you establish with her. Mm-hmm. And you can see that in the film just by like 10 seconds of like the, the camera showing her, you can right. gather all these things you can gather from her clothing, from the way she does her hair uh, to the way that she walks mm-hmm. and the way that she interacts with people yeah. that she's not like this stand up straight, uh, forceful, mm-hmm. dauntless person. Uh, a picture really is worth a thousand words. It really is. And so, you know, you have to give that side to the movies. Yeah. Um, there's also sides where they where the, like the directors and the producers just imagine things that I didn't, oh, you know, because yeah. a lot of people make the the argument, for lack of a better term, that, well, my imagine is better than whatever they can ever put on the on the film. 
And that's fair enough. Like your imagination is very vast. And I've created, you know, in my head from these books, like just characters that really felt real to me. Um, you know, I can still imagine them visually in my head, mm -hmm. what they all look like. But like even in again, in the in the Divergent film or in the book, they talk about this fence that's encircling Chicago, which what it is is Chicago. Yeah. And I I honestly imagined this like chain link like, you know, you see like around like a business like not even like barbed wire, okay. just like yeah. this, like corralling sheep kind of uh -huh. kind of fence. That's all I ever imagined when I was reading the books. But when they show it in the film, it's it's almost taller than any other building, and it's it's just like this intricate network of going all the way around Chicago. You know mm. that you can like you can climb up it. Uh, it's very thick. You know, so like it's not like a person thick. Like you can just walk around like a, like a big concrete wall. Uh, more of like a like a metal uh, scaffolding. Than oh, anything. okay. Yeah, but it's 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 enormous, and they you know they do like the kind of like helicopter flying over shot of it. Mm -hmm. It's like wow, that's that's way more than I even imagined. Sure, and yeah. that adds to it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it, you also have different different art forms and things that you can experience in in a movie that you can't in a book. Yes, like I mean. If if you have a good director and a good cinematographer, even just the shots that they choose are artistic and can be breathtaking in and of themselves. Yes. Um, and so that's an art form that doesn't exist in the books. We already talked about music. Music adds another dimension that you don't get. Um, and so it's a, it's a chance to appreciate more, I, I guess, more artistic art forms than you would if you're just imagining it in your mind. Yes. I mean, even just the simple fact that I... Up until watching Lord of the Rings, you know, I did not get to in my I didn't know what New Zealand exactly looked like mm. <laughs> until yeah. they filmed all of New Zealand in the Lord of the Rings. Uh, and it was so beautiful and, and lush and vast and mm -hmm. they did a really great job. I wonder if you could create like a, a Google Maps of New Zealand just from all the footage in Lord of the Rings. I'm sure <laughs> I, the, just the fact alone that this week I saw someone make a detailed map of Isengard. <laughs> I'm pretty sure someone's done that, Pat. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we alone have a friend who made a map of like the the Avatar from Avatar the Last Airbender right. World. Yeah. And like like down to the mileage. Like down to like, you know, like you know, you have on the map like this inch equals three hundred miles. Like he's done the math. <laughs> Don't know why he does the math, but he's done the math. That's what geography majors do. I'm I'm never going to be a geography major, Pat. I have decided that. It's okay. That's why we have geography majors. That's why they have <laughs> other people besides me who are geography majors. Um, yeah, I mean, so we we've talked a lot about like what the extra stuff that movies bring. Yes, but a lot of times that can kind of go wrong. Yes, very much so. Um, so I think I think. You know, our the the title of our episode kind of sums up uh, the experience that a lot of us have had, and we alluded to it before. Of well, the book was so much better mm -hmm, than the movie. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I guess the thought that comes through in my head is if if movies bring all these extra things that they can describe more because they're showing us, or they've got the music or the art of the cinematography and all that, why do they so frequently fall flat, or why do we why do we have such a violently negative reaction when our beloved book? comes onto the screen you'd think it would just enhance the experience right you would so why why do we have that reaction 
I think part of it, at at the very least, part of it is because someone gave birth to Michael Bay. (laughs) And that was a dark day in history. (laughs) Or in movie history. That's true. Um... Part of it, too, is that we we create, because we have such a big imagination, we create these high, high standards hmm. of film, of still a very much projected on a screen capture of just pieces of the book. Yeah. You know, you can't, it's, the, the media is still very limited in that you can't capture everything that is going on. Mm-hmm. And so if, if I'm perceiving this part of the book from one angle and you capture a different part and I don't it doesn't jive with me well now that's a that's a tick against you even if you, if you, it shouldn't be objectively mm-hmm. subjectively it's a tick against that movie and then there's tick 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 and we walk out of the movie with a bunch of ticks in our in you know looking at and we name them all off and then we right. get even more mad <laughs> um, but I think sometimes I guess uh Sometimes what we have too is sometimes the 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 movie is better than the book. Yeah, it can actually just be better than the book. Uh, the only example that I've come up with is uh, Jurassic Park. Yes, uh, I didn't read the book, so maybe I don't get a chance to say this. But the film was so good that mm-hmm. I don't know if I could have imagined better in my head. Yeah, really don't. unfortunately, I haven't read the book either, so it's probably one of those things I should go back and do, but you're right. I mean, that that film is pretty breathtaking in terms of the visuals and the the how real the island feels. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe we'll be a little bit safer using Jurassic Park as our example because most of the people saw the book or saw the the film and didn't read the book. Yeah. So I think most people are on our side just from statistical from views. There there might be that one guy who just rages at us, but <laughs> we'll we'll handle that when that time comes. Sure. Uh but yeah, I, there's so many different I think this this hit so close to home to different people because everyone has their their niche book mm-hmm. that they just they kind of want to hold on to. And you know, we're lucky enough that at least like some of our bigger ones like Chronicles of Narnia, the first one was very good. It was. And it did a very good job of, of matching up with what I wanted out of the book, what I mm-hmm. thought of the book. It, it it captured, I mean, in addition to, like, getting the visuals right, it, it really kept the spirit of the book. Yes. Um, and, and the characters were true to what they were. The, um, the spirit of the book came through. It just, it felt the same mm-hmm. you you got the same feels you yeah know? that's true that's that's a good point i think the same thing happened with lord of the rings mm-hmm. uh you know we we came out of that feeling so adventurous and pumped up and and wanting to save middle earth mm-hmm. that uh we, that we got out of the first book yeah mm-hmm. um yeah i i think that's that's probably the most important thing to me you know is that keeping keeping the vision of the uh, of the writer of the book intact and making sure that you're telling the same story mm-hmm. and and the the message or, or what comes out of it or what the reader is supposed to get out of it is the same as when they go in, into the movie. I mean, one, one of the things that kind of disappointed me about the iRobot adaptation is it really wasn't an adaptation. It's really not. Asimov's stories. Right. It didn't. It didn't tie in, and so it 
you, you can almost set up a false expectation of, of you know, okay, I'm an Asimov fanboy. Um, I'm going to go in and expecting to experience something similar to what I experienced mm-hmm. before. And when you're presented with something that's totally different, then I think that can, um, that can just lead to a lot of disappointment and, you know, uh, because your expectations were not met. Yeah. And I think I, j- I was just thinking about also not as extreme, but something that just kind of takes you out of what you were feeling is uh, a lot of books are written these days in first person perspective. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, the, the main characters, the narrator ish, yeah, you know, you're looking at it through their eyes and in a movie, unless you do it like a call of duty, you know, video game, <laughs> it's not going to be in a first person perspective. Mm. So there's a lot of things changing as far as that. So the one I was thinking of is hunger games. Sure. Hunger game is, is told or, you know, is experienced through Katniss's eyes, mm-hmm. but in the films, obviously it's, it's, it's an like an eagle eye view of what's going on, yeah. you know? Uh, and so I was thinking about in the first film where there's, you know, during the hunger games, there's a, there's a lot more things that go on in the book and a lot uh, more intense experiences. I feel that went on in the book. Like for instance, uh, there was the time where she uh, is fighting off the, like the district one and tours. And they all get stung by these like hallucinogen hallucinogenic uh, wasps. Yeah. And she like, there's a couple, I think there's at least a day time span where she's just losing her mind in this pit. Yeah. Um, And that's a real big piece of that. Like that, that uh, adds to what her character is like uh, in the books, you mm-hmm. know, cause like you, you think about that adds to the things that she had to go through. And so if you don't see all these things that she had to go through in the film, but you see her making the same decisions at the end Mm. of the film that you saw her make at the end of the book, there's a disconnect there. Yeah. And so it doesn't feel as real, you know, when she, when she makes decisions. Um, uh, I think another thing about these, these adaptations that really take us out is every once in a while, there's like just that one thing that you can't get past. You know what I'm saying? Like that you just can't let go. You're going to rant about it to your friends for the, the end of time and all your friends are going to roll their eyes, but you can't let go. And it just ruins the movie for you. Yeah. Uh, Again, in hunger games for me, there was a spoiler alert for hunger games. The other one wasn't really spoiler because it actually didn't even happen in the, in the films really. Uh, I mean, like she does do that kind of yeah. stuff, but they don't show it all. Anyways, uh, spoiler alert for Hunger Games: the the girl from District Eleven, I believe it was District Eleven, she mm-hmm. died. Yeah, and she died in a horrible way. She died because I think it was the guy from District Two lunges a javelin at her, like throws a javelin, and you know impales her in the body, mm-hmm. and she goes down. And it's very intense in the book. I had every single feel that you could have in the book. It was very yeah. intense. In the film, again, guy lunges a javelin at her, and you pan to her. She, this little, like, 11-year-old girl, is taking a javelin to the chest like the bossiest of bosses I've ever seen. (laughs) She just stands up. And even though she technically died, she's, like, at first she just stands up, or she's she's still standing, Mm -hmm. and just takes it. Like, just physics alone (laughs) would put her on the ground. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I just can't, 
I can't let it go, Pat. I'm going <laughs> to hold on to that to the day I die. Uh, well, and, and that's that's maybe one of the other downsides to movies is the the reality of making a movie for a particular rating. I mean, because if you Ooh, think yeah. about something that's that violent and brutal like that. And it was. Um, the the director has a choice to make. Am I going to show it in all of its graphic glory on screen? Um, and what is that going to mean? Does that mean I'm going to get a more restrictive rating on the movie and restrict the audience and then I make less money? Um, and so that's, that's sort of a, a limitation that you have on movies that you may not have in a book. Um, yes. Uh, and that is that is something to consider because they do have to answer to so many different people, even mm-hmm. besides the ratings. They have to answer to the guys who are funding them yep. and all these things. Uh, for that specific one, Pat, I have a resolution for that. <laughs> that one's easily resolved. They could have just shown him throwing the javelin and then pan over to her on the ground. All I wanted was her on the ground. I, I just didn't want her standing up. That's, that's all I wanted. <laughs> you just wanted them to obey the laws of physics? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't need like the, 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 the javelin to be bloodily through her body and like blood squirting out everywhere. I just needed her to be on the ground, Pat. That's all I wanted. Okay. All right. I will, <laughs> I will, let, I will let this go for the moment gotcha. so we can move forward with this. <laughs> but we have all these things. Yeah. Uh, people have their little, their little pieces that they pick out of movies that just kind of ruin it for them, unfortunately. That's true. And you can't really control that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I was going to say no one – you can't control people reacting to the emo uh, Toby Maguire in Spider-Man 3. But I think you actually could have just not put that in there. <laughs> Maybe that's another one I shouldn't let go of. Uh, or Mary Jane. We're not going down there. Okay. We that can okay that can be a different that can be a different podcast. <laughs> uh, if anyone's listening, I I hate the Mary Jane done by Kirsten Dunst. That is all I will say for now. Uh, so I guess I think we've covered a yeah. lot of the the qualms that people have yeah. with these. I I had I had one other interesting thing that I yes. wanted to bring up, and it's is going back to your your idea of. Um, like the first person versus second person versus third mm, person yes. idea that you talked about in books versus movies. And I think that's a really important point and why many, why many book adaptations either are bad when they go to the screen or, or are required to be so different when they go to the mm-hmm. screen. Because one of the things that you can do very, very easily in books is understand like hear the internal monologue of characters yes. and understand what's going on in their heads. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can get a lot of insight into that. And some, some books are written very and rely very exclusively on that. There may be a lot less dialogue, but it's, it's more talking about what's going on in the characters' heads. Right. When you take a book like that and try to translate to, that to the screen, it's how do you do that? Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't necessarily want to have, you know, the actors literally overdub their internal monologue because that can get kind of weird and cheesy. It can, yeah, and it can take you out if, immediately. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so you have to find creative ways to either show what they're thinking by visual expressions or the situation that they're in, or you have to maybe change the whole situation and have those thoughts come out via dialogue in situations that may not have happened in the book. Mm. Um, and and there, there's other things like, you know, 
different situations you can be in that also require things to be different. And I think that's one of the main things that I think us fans of particular works of fiction and books need to realize is when it goes to the screen, it may be impossible to tell the story like it was. Like w- one example for me that I had was, I'm, you know, I've always been a big fan of uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by yep. Douglas Adams. That's a big one. I haven't read it though yet. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Um, it's a absolutely hilarious parody of uh, science fiction stories and tropes and mm-hmm. everything. So highly recommended. Um, but that's one of those those books that it's it's very dry British humor. But in the book, a lot of that dry British humor actually comes through with explanations by the narrator. Okay. It's not characters talking about things. And so when it's, again, when you take that to the big screen, how do you translate that humor and those explanations? You can't tell the story in the same way. Right. So I had I had a very negative experience when I saw when I went into the movie, I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm remembering all these hilarious things from the book. And I just I wanted them to do it exactly like that on screen. Right. And I walked away from that movie disappointed because it wasn't the story that I remember. I mean, some of the major plot points were the same, but the gags were different and it just felt different. Um, but I looking back on it, I don't necessarily fault the movie because I don't know if they could have done it any better. It was a different story and the movie itself was probably good. I just had these very strong expectations going into it that um, I were not met and I was not happy at the time. Well, and we, we've talked about the, the expectations versus the outcome, but you've also mentioned uh things that where the it's almost impossible for the the book to actually be adapted to movies. Yeah. And so for me that begs the question if you can't if you can't do the book justice. Hmm. And I guess doing the book justice is a broad term. I think a lot of people yeah. have different definitions of what that means, but I I'm talking about what you're what you just mentioned where it's it just isn't going to fit right. unless you get really cheesy and really bad with yeah. it. Should the movie be made? The uh, the specific case of The Hitchhiker's Guide is really interesting because Douglas Adams, before he died, he was actually involved in the screenplay for the movie. Okay. So he was actually, he, uh, apparently he want he wanted it to be a thing yeah. and was involved in it. And, uh, and so you got to think, and th- there were cer- certain scenes that were, totally um, created from scratch for the movie that were done by him. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was, you know, very disappointed by that. But then I went back and said, well, you know what? It's his vision, you know, and it's, that's kind of how he wanted the movie to be. And so you got to realize that it's a different entity than the book itself and you have to treat it as separate. Yeah. And I think that we have a hard time treating them as separate. We want to make that connection. We, we kind of just want to re-experience the book and maybe just have th- some things added to it yeah, um, so that we can just go through that experience again. And mm-hmm. I, I think that that might be a, a false way of looking at it. Like that might be just a, a way that you shouldn't look at it because you're just going to get disappointed most of the time. Right. Yeah. But, but I, I, I totally also hear your, your question about should it be turned into a movie? Is it just I want to capitalize on the success of this mm-hmm. book and make some cash and, you know, just – throw something on screen or do you really have a vision that this could be a legitimate work of art um in in a movie form yeah and i i lean towards the 
don't make the movie unless you know you can do a good job at it. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's not very practical, especially <laughs> if like you're trying to get the rights for like a book and already have thought some things through, and you're down that trail as it is. Yeah. You should probably, you know, you probably are going to keep doing it. Um, I think it kind of made me think of the Divergent series. I don't know much about the background of the author. I think that she wrote this series on like the tail end of like graduating college, I think. Oh, maybe. Okay. Wow. I'm not sure. Uh, but I know that it's like one of her first actual like published deals. And so she's very excited about like the, the reception that it's got that a lot of, uh, that a lot of people like it. And from like the little quips and stuff that I've, I've read from her, I think that it's she's very genuinely like is excited that people enjoy this and that it's a good thing. Not that like it's not that she's becoming like a big name or anything. Sure. And so I think that when they offered her to do the movies, I can't assume, but uh, from my mind, I think that she kind of more viewed it as a we want to take this experience and maybe make it for other people to experience. Like she, sure. she just wants other people to to kind of get this get this out to them Mm -hmm. and so i think she's been very excited to go through that i think that that would be cool as like a young author to see so many people enjoy this and then have a chance to uh crossover medium so that more people can enjoy this yeah the story that you wanted to share with the world Mm -hmm. uh and so if that's if that's the motivation for a lot of these kind of things like yeah i can i can i can get behind that even if i don't think that necessarily you could do a great job because I think the Divergent yeah. series did a decent job mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. adapting a decent book. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and for me, it all comes back to, you know, okay. So if you want to do a good adaptation, you really need to get at the spirit of the book and the core of the story that you want to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't read Divergent or seen the movie, so I don't know much about it. But if she was so excited about you know, writing this book and, and telling a particular story to people, I mean, there's probably like a nugget in there, like some big idea or thing that she really wants to get through or some feeling that she wants people to get out of it. Yeah. Um, and I would think as long as you can translate that into the movie while creating a good movie in and of itself, even if some of the details and particulars are different, I think that's a success. Yeah. And I think that they, they did that overall as far as what she her vision and what she was looking for in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I think overall we're pretty much saying like, go see the movie, enjoy it and don't like have it too uh, chained to the, to the book. Right. You know, like someone else dragging you along, like just enjoy the movie for what it is. Personally, I'm going to try to get over my book snobbishness. You know, that's something that I need to work on and I'm convicted of after talking through it today. I would like to say that I'm convicted of it, but I'm probably not. And I'm going to probably keep being a bookish snob. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's just be honest. You know what? I appreciate your honesty. Matt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just, you know, there's some days where I do change what I am. There, are, This isn't one of them. <laughs> you got to pick your battles. You pick. <laughs> yeah, this battle I'm not picking. I'm just going to keep, you know, keep holding on to the banner of annoying guy in that group. <laughs> or that annoying guy in the group. Uh, so... Yeah, I think we covered most of what we wanted yeah. to though. And so we're gonna we're gonna end the day with a phrase. That phrase today is on the other hand. Oh. Yeah. On the other hand. You know, Pat, you could have that pepperoni pizza. On the other hand, though, you've been 
you've been dieting a bit, and I think that you should maybe have that white rice with just a, a tad bit of salt. Aww. Or actually, that's not good dieting at all. That's that's, that's yeah, horrible. That's, yeah, there's like uh, zero nutrition in white rice. So, Pat, you could have a supreme pizza, or on the other hand, you could take the healthy side and eat a handful of kale. <laughs> you know, you get the choice. <laughs> I, I don't think a handful of kale is like a, a balanced diet, but uh, you're right. I think, uh, Pat, I'm making up the examples here. And oh, I think you, yep. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah, okay. No, All right. I've got my two choices. There we go. Okay. I've got my two choices. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't really know the origin of where that, that term came from. It's pretty simple. And I don't think that it's very like radical of, from what it means. Mm-hmm. So it just is, is literally, you could choose this or this and you can make hand gestures. You can look at your hand on the right hand. You've mm-hmm. got pizza on the left hand. You have kale. You have two choices. Uh, though a lot of times in, like inner monologues and whatnot, people kind of go past the two hands. Humans only have two hands, but people will just keep going. Well, on the other hand, uh, you could also choose the the bad choice of white rice. On the other hand, there's a half-eaten box of Cheez-Its. But on the other hand... <laughs> Are you talking to an octopus? <laughs> yeah, you know, there's, there's that going. And when I was thinking about that this week, it reminded me of one of my favorite uh, movies when I was a kid was the, the Fiddler on the Roof musical. Oh, yeah. And you've seen it, I know, but I don't know how much you remember of it. I, I do not have the story engraved in my mind like you do. I can quote the thing, Pat. Like, <laughs> beginning to end. Uh, but one of the story arcs in that is the, the main character. Uh, his daughters are getting married. Mm-hmm. They get married off. And with each daughter that gets married, they have a bigger and bigger break from his traditions, from his religion, from his upbringing. Mm-hmm. The first one is they, the, the couple did not get set up by the matchmaker. Yeah. What? No matchmaker. On the other hand, did Adam and Eve have a matchmaker? Oh, I think they did. And these two have the same matchmaker. Like, you know, and so he's, yeah, I love his inner monologues. In the, <laughs> film. Uh, the next one, they don't ask for his permission. Ooh, defiance. Mm. They just, they simply want his blessing. But uh, in the, the, the last daughter, not the last, not his youngest daughter, but the last one to get married off in the film, she wants to marry a young Russian lad, not a Jew. Mm-hmm. You know, and so now you're, you're marrying outside of the faith. Yeah. This is a big leap for the main character to take. This is this is actually tearing him apart. Mm -hmm. And so his inner monologue is very much more serious and he's, he's, you know, but on the other hand, they're happy, you know, but on the other hand, you know, all these things back and forth. And he finally gets so torn and he just gets so angry. He's like, no, no, there is no other hand. And he just, and he goes nuts and he drives her away. (laughs) And it's such an intense scene for me. And I just, I loved it. And it's, oh, it's, you know. Yeah. That's the other hand for you. The other hand. The other hand. Uh, Maybe that'll make you think a little bit more when you're making decisions in the kitchen, Pat. I will. I will. I will think of that often. By the way, Pat's not actually dieting. He's uh, he's a very fit man. He likes to bike a lot and he does really well. Uh, And he eats way too much breaded tilapia. Hey, the breaded tilapia is good, okay? I can't handle it, Pat. Just, <laughs> it's not for me. Oh, uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you very much. Uh, we we appreciate everyone who listens to this podcast. 
If you have any feedback, any comments, or anything you want to talk about with the book so much better, you can email us at neverendingnarrative at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at nenarrative. Uh, you can tweet at me at, uh, what is it? Oh, uh, Matthew J. Yeager. Uh, not at Twitter. You don't do the at and then at Twitter. Like you just, which always throws me off. I want to say at Twitter at the end of all of those. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's it, little neurons in my head. Uh, you can tweet at Pat if you find him. Yep. Somewhere on the Twitter verse. Yep. We don't actually know what it is, but we'll figure it out someday. Uh, otherwise we hope that you guys have a great week and, uh, maybe tell a couple more stories than you normally would. All right. Thanks again. <laughs>